Reading from Matthew, the first chapter, verses 18 through 25. Now, as the, now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they had lived together, she was found to be pregnant with the host, from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. But just when they had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angels of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife but had no marital relations with her until she had given birth to a son and he named him Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God for which we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. <clears throat> Can you believe there are only seven days until Christmas? Now, just that knowledge may have changed some of your plans for this afternoon and tomorrow, right? As you scurry about trying to get all the gifts and presents together to get ready for that big day, to get ready for Christmas. This Sunday, though, is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we are preparing our hearts for both Jesus coming as a child born in a manger and also his coming on the clouds as the Messiah to make all things new. Now, if you've been with us these last few weeks, you know we've been listening to the voice of the prophet Isaiah, who has a vision of a Savior coming to restore God's kingdom and all of creation. In Isaiah 2, there's a vision of God's temple resting on the highest mountain and all people being drawn to it because righteousness and justice and wisdom will flow from that place. Then in Isaiah 11, a vision of a Savior from the stump of Jesse, from the line of David, who would come and establish his kingdom and a new order for creation, all of creation. And last week we heard from Isaiah chapter 35, where the arrival of the Messiah causes the whole of creation to be filled with, and I love this last part, overcome with joy. This morning we turn to Matthew chapter 1, to hear again the voice of Isaiah in Matthew's gospel. And if you were listening along this morning, you might have noticed a little bit of tension in the text, perhaps some textual inconsistencies as you were listening and reading along. About midway through the passage, we hear that Mary will give birth to a son and that they are to name the child Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. 
Then the voice of Isaiah jumps in. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then a few verses later, and they gave him the name Jesus. What is this baby's name? Is it Jesus? Is it Emmanuel? Is it Emmanuel? Is it Jesus? Because names are important, friends. You know this, don't you? That names are incredibly important. There's something strange about the power of our names and how our names come to define us and we identify with them. I mean, for most of us, our naming went something like this. A child was born. A parent looked down and said, this one looks like a Jonathan. Or a Sarah. Or a William or a Ben. This one, this one looks like A and you get named. Maybe there's a little bit more to it than just naming the first thing that comes to mind. Some of you know that because you have historic names. Some of you are the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth or the, perhaps even the seventh. Maybe your name is connected to your grandparents or great-grandparents or a cousin or an aunt or an uncle. Whatever the case may be, these names that get attached to us we seem to have an attachment to. They help us. They shape us. They define us. You all know my name. I'm Jonathan Smith. If you want to be technical, though, my name is Jonathan Daniel Smith. And if you want to be formal, I'm Reverend Dr. Jonathan Smith. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Benny. <laughs> but you can just call me Jonathan. That's my name. It's part of my identity. It's, it's tied to who I am. People don't usually trip over my name, at least the pronunciation of my name. But when it comes to the spelling of my name, there's lots of room for error. People will say, are you Jonathan with an H? Yes, but just one H in Jonathan. Not, I'm not a two H Jonathan. I'm more like a Joe Nathan. And they're like, oh, well, does that mean an O or an A? Where? Because yes. Well, at the end, oh, I'm an A at the end. I'm a Joe Nathan. And um, gosh, where does the E go in your name? E's are right out. There are no E's in the spelling of Jonathan. Names are strange business. How they attach to us and how we identify with them, how they shape us. You know, it's funny when it comes to the misspelling of my name, often I am far more embarrassed than the person who spelled my name wrong. Because my name means something. When someone associates good things with our name, we feel pride, we feel joy. And when someone associates negative things with our names, we feel like we are the ones who are bearing the brunt of that dissatisfaction. We like it when our names are recognized. And isn't it just the worst when someone forgets your name? I apologize, Russ, earlier. Because names matter, friends. Matthew 1, in fact, is all about names. In the first 17 verses of the chapter, we get the whole family tree of Jesus, every name. Some names that you'd instantly recognize. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Those are the patriarchs of the Old Testament. The first to live in covenant with God. Then you get David, Israel's greatest king, and Solomon, the wisest man ever to live, depending on who you ask. That's impressive stuff. Then there are names that are well less known, but we have a sort of odd familiarity with, right? You have 
Names like Jesse, that's David's father. Boaz, who is Ruth's kinsman redeemer. Rahab, who was a prostitute that saved the Hebrew spies in Jericho. Ruth, who refuses to leave Naomi and marries Boaz. And Josiah, the boy king, who drew the people of God back to God through his reforms. You probably know some of their stories. And I've got to tell you, it's a little bit shocking to see the names of the women in the genealogy of Jesus, Ruth and Rahab, because not only are they female, but they're Gentiles. They're Gentiles. These women were outside of the promise of God, and yet they are a part of who Jesus is, part of Jesus' story. Then there's a few names that you might not even know. Perez, Rehoboam, Jotham, Jeconiah, Shealtiel. If you're looking for some biblical names, just go right down Matthew chapter 1. Strong names for kids. You can name your child Zadok. Each of those names, though, has a story, just like you and just like me. I'll let you look up who they are, because they matter and they're a part of who Jesus is. In those first 17 verses, we hear the names that represent 42 generations, 14 from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, 14 from the exile to the Messiah, and those names lead us to two very specific and two very important names, Jesus and Emmanuel. Jesus and Emmanuel. You caught the tension in the text, right? Today, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, only to find out a few verses later that Joseph and Mary name him Jesus. So which is it? Jesus or Emmanuel? Don't you feel like you should have to choose Jesus or Emmanuel? What I think Matthew is getting at here is much deeper than just picking a name for the child that would grow to become the Savior of the world. I think that Matthew is suggesting to us that you cannot speak the name of Jesus without invoking the name Emmanuel. And that you can't speak the name Emmanuel without invoking the name of Jesus. You see, Emmanuel literally means God with us, and Jesus literally means God saves. Matthew is saying to us that you can't separate these two, that Jesus is God with us and Emmanuel is the one who saves us. I'm going to say that again because the hopes and fears of all the years are met in those two names, friends. Jesus is God with us and Emmanuel is the one who saves us. You see, Jesus, this child who was born in a manger, is God in all of our flesh and blood realities, in all of our flesh and blood messiness. God with us in every single sense of the word. God with us in our simplicity and in our complexity. God with us in our hurts and our pains. God with us in our urgency and our complacency. God with us in our beauty and in our brokenness. God with us as Jesus would say to bookend Matthew's gospel, even unto the end of the age, Jesus is God with us, always with us, Emmanuel. And this Emmanuel is the God who has come and is coming to save us. 
to save us from the power of sin and death, to save us from our brokenness and free us from bondage, to save us from violence and injustice and to establish a new kingdom and a new reality for you and for me and for all of creation, to save all of creation for all of eternity. Friends, Matthew wants us to understand that you can't have Jesus without Emmanuel. You can't have a God who saves without a God who is with us. And it's Jesus, Emmanuel, that the whole world has been waiting for. It's Jesus, Emmanuel, that we have been waiting for and preparing our hearts and our lives and our homes and our community for. This whole Advent season has been about making space for Jesus, Emmanuel. Because the God who saves us is the God who is with us. And the God who is with us is the God who saves us. Our Savior does not sit on high and look down on us, but instead moved into the neighborhood to bring us redemption, to bring us life, to conquer the power of sin and death, and to make us whole. The God who saves us is the God who is with us. Charles Wesley puts it best in the second verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You know the song, and we're going to sing it in just a minute. He says this, Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Let us pray. God, we thank you for sending your son to be with us and to save us. We thank you, God, for not keeping your distance from us, but rather drawing near to us that we might experience your grace, your peace, your hope, your love, your joy, and your justice. We thank you, God that you've come not only to draw near to us, but to save us, to undo the curse of sin and death. And we pray today, Lord, that we might enter into a relationship with you that transforms the very heart of who we are. We pray, God, today, that if we have not yet made room for you, God, that your spirit would come upon us to help us make space for you this Christmas. Because we know, Lord, that as you transform us, as you redeem us and restore us, you send us out to transform, to redeem, and to restore the world in your name and by your grace. Lord Jesus, Emmanuel, we give you thanks and praise. Amen.